Uh, welcome to episode number 37 of Red River Podcast. Um, today, you know, back at it. Um, ju- it's just Langan's on vacation, actually. Yeah, it's like an empty seat. It's yeah, it's kinda... in a, yeah. <laughs> I, ju- I just poured some coffee in a seat, you know, in his absence. Um, so me and Parker are handling things. And today we have um, the singer of The Last Stand, as well as Inhuman, and, you know, uh, basically the mayor of Brooklyn, it seems like, from, <laughs> from Long Island. So Michael Scandato, what's up, man? What's up, guys? How you doing? Very good. I know that we've been trying to schedule this. Um, there were times where I, I just wanted to get in the car and just be like, fuck you. I'm going to go to your apartment. I'm going to set up some mics and we're going to fucking talk. But, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. I know it's like a, it's a long time coming, but uh, thanks for having me. I'm glad we're able to finally get this going. Yeah. Well, I mean, I want to have you on because you're like you know there's certain people that you admire from afar and and I admire you from afar because we're almost the same age and you try to do you know basically what I try to do which is just stay mm-hmm. active stay creative you know yeah. constantly playing in, in in bands uh you have your own podcast um and you know you you do a lot of stuff you know and and take a lot of cool pictures <laughs> <laughs> so um i wanted to like touch upon some of that uh for for you know for shits and giggles because sometimes people listen to the show and, and they don't know who certain people are or you know it, it's like an introduction you know who the fuck yeah, knows yeah. who's who who knows who's listening you know like i i scan and it's like you know people from ireland and all these <laughs> random like motherfuckers so no of course man. i get it yeah t- tell me um you know let's let's just take it from the beginning you know because i don't really know much about you um anthony ventishinque uh aka the watch he's the one the that watch. another yeah. mayor right there he's the mayor of long yeah. island <laughs> i don't know it might be tied for him and ron grimaldi though. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 ron is man ron is everywhere probably almost every 90s hardcore picture right there <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those two. Nah. Um, so it, it, let's let's take it to the beginning, man. Uh, when did you start playing music, and what made you want to like grab the mic to sing? Um, I, I actually started playing music in '86. Uh, uh, I was let's see, 12, going on 13, and um, a big catalyst for that was uh, this kind of cable access show that was on it was like a it was a cable access channel called u68 and they had the heavy metal power hour on throughout the summer of 86 almost well every day of the week actually it was on and around that time i was in a predicament because i was hit by a car at the beginning of the summer holy shit how old were you oh you said 12 13 wow yep i was 12 two months two and a half months shy of 13 and this was, you know, the mid '80s, so they had the tremendous plaster old school cast on my leg that went from my toes all the way to my upper thigh because my leg was shattered in three places. So I had a lot of free time on my hands that summer. <laughs> um, I was a music fan then. Um, I kind of or was already listening to like rock and metal, but not nearly as much as I was going to like get submersed in it, you know, that year, you know, like my brother, John, even earlier than that, going back to like, Jesus, like 83, 84, 11 
and he's about, you know, he's two years older than me. He was in like metal bands very young, actually. And uh, he was a singer. I liked metal then. But I don't know. I was I was too young to be a metalhead. You know, you're like eleven. I you posted yeah, you, right? you posted a picture of of like something that you filled out when you were ha- like about this age, oh, yeah, right? 15. That's when I was sixteen. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so like but, um, that was for Metal Maniacs, nineteen eighty nine readers. Nice. He this guy this guy saves everything. <laughs> And if you're not Facebook friends with him, yeah, or, or, I am. I am. Yeah. You're missing out on so much fucking good stuff yeah. because it's like he pulls shit from like 1980, whatever the fuck. And you're <laughs> like, how the fuck did this guy know? I <laughs> like it. So, but go ahead, but, keep going. Um, the thing is this: I, I was never that good at sports. Some of my other brothers were good at sports, and I just kind of was like, you know what? I, I think I, I love music more than anything. Like music was what got me through being on a couch for 90 something days in the heat. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Um, and just kind of watching that. We didn't even have cable yet. Cable wasn't even in the neighborhood yet, by the way. That's the other funny part. Mm. I, re- I remember, you know, music and, and, you know, watching movies on a VCR just kind of really saved me, you know, a kid. Um, and, and that's, that's kind of like where you are now. Cause you're like me, like we're both, so immersed in music and movies which is <laughs> yeah. why which is why you're talking on this podcast because we're, yeah i mean it's it, i guess when you stick with something you like you really stick with it right but uh my friends at the time um uh, john uh, lamakia who's in candiria and my friend tom they they picked up guitars in this same year and i was like well we can't have three guitar players so I, sure I you can. Yeah. <laughs> well, we were we weren't aware of jam bands, and we wanted yeah. to play metal. And we didn't know of any metal bands that had three fucking guitar players. So I was like, you know what? I, I like Nicky Six a lot, and he's the bass player. <laughs> I like Steve Harris. Yeah. Our maiden. He's the bass player. I'll be the bass player. That's kind of how I became the bass player. I think th- I think that's how many bass players became yeah. bass players. Like only only process like, of elimination. Only like a just like a certain few are like I'm going to play bass, but it's usually like just by elimination. It's like well, everyone picked every seat, so yep. I guess I want to hang out. <laughs> and um, the other thing is, uh, this is in Sheepshead Bay, Brooklyn, where I grew up. Uh, a music store had opened up right on Sheepshead Bay Road. You know where the stores were. And it was like a metal store. It sold instruments, but it also sold metal shirts and pins and posters. And sure enough, they gave lessons. Mm. So I would go and take bass lessons on crutches with the huge cast. And my two buddies, John and Tom, would also take their guitar lessons all that summer as well. I mean, we took lessons well into 87 you know, '88 oh, so, so, actually. How, did those lessons actually like help you? Oh yeah, absolutely. I think so. Well, I they, mean, they did they teach you like theory? I learned. I learned. You know what some notes were. I mean, I, I back then I probably could read music a little bit. Um, but they definitely helped me. They helped me with picking, and they helped me with like you know, just kind of learning about things. Like the one of the guys who was there was like this cooler older metalhead guy, and you know, it was like. It was like a lot of people's musical stories, you know, only it's my musical story, you know, like I just think being in the neighborhood we were in, I mean, you know, Sheepshead Bay in the 80s was 
was not a metal hotbed. It was it was a lot of guidos and you know metalheads and anyone who liked punk or hardcore were certainly like the, the outcasts of the day. Um, What'd your parents think? They were okay with it. My dad was the biggest Elvis fan on the planet, and growing up, all we heard in the house was Elvis and the Rolling Stones, and just and he also liked the, the, the pop music of the day, actually. Uh, Paul and Oates, and you know, like whatever hit singles were going on, okay. chances dad bought, which is kind of interesting. Um, definitely didn't like pop music as the decades went on. In the 80s, he liked pop music. By the 90s, I think he was he was punched out. He's, 90s, he was punched out of pop. It's, he liked modern pop of the 80s. Um, he liked Rick Springfield. Yeah, he was like a, a weird guy. Like He went from kind of one extreme to the next, which yeah. definitely probably rubbed off on me because um, that's where, where my tastes you know, lie. But the yeah. music thing started with our brothers. No one in our family were singers or uh, musicians. They started with me, John, and Mark. So, you know, um, where that came from, I just, we all just kind of tie it back to dad's nonstop record playing all throughout our lives, probably. I mean, that's crazy when you really think about, like, there's there's five of you, right? Yeah. And uh, only the older one that didn't really do music, right? Right, Joe. Joe is a banker. Joe's he's a bank. A <laughs> oh, he's the smart one. Yeah, he's laughing all the way to <laughs> yeah. the bank now. <laughs> okay, okay. Jo- John was in a, a like, a, like you know, young kid band first, and I had a band called Close Call in '88, '89, um, and then John uh, joined the Maximum Penalty at the very beginning of 1990, um, because you know John was John could sing. John could always sing. John could really his brother yeah. you know, later on you know went into a band which he finally he would always send me like your brother john would always send me this but it was always on youtube was symmetry mm-hmm. what was it called uh synthetic 16 Syn- synthetic 16 okay mm-hmm. the fucking i it, it's basically every it's like this like culmination of like everything that i would listen to but mm-hmm. on YouTube, like I, I always listen to stuff on Spotify or something. I never listen to it on YouTube. And then one day, driving home from Brooklyn, I promised your brother because I saw, I told him I saw you when we played out in, uh, you know, that the beer garden. Oh, yeah. And uh, I listened to this album, and I'm just like, fuck. I'm like, this is so fucking good. His brother could sing so goddamn good. Um, yeah, and, and they 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 had a good thing going for a while. And you know the band imploded like many bands tend to. But the um, most the most important part about that is the cover. Yes, the cover ties into movies, of course. Oh, now, Spider Babe. Yeah, as an aside, oh. I'll tell you how that even came to be. John and I were big horror fans, still big horror fans. And when John was living in you know Brooklyn at the time, I think it was the '98 or '99 Fangoria convention. Hard convention used to actually be in Manhattan yep. once upon a time. They long ago ceased to be in Manhattan, just Jersey now. Um, they started out in Manhattan, and there was a table. Uh, these, you know, these two kind of odd-looking dudes with two very pretty girls at the table, young pretty girls, and it was called Factory Two Thousand, and they were hawking these super independent 
movies that they made, the four people sitting at the table made in the outskirts of Jersey somewhere. And they were just like, you know, D-grade horror movies. <laughs> but they had this beautiful girl in them on all the box covers, Missy Monday. Yep. I mean, mm. people were like, oh, let's, you know, these are 10 bucks each. Let's buy a fucking couple of these movies. <laughs> <laughs> and that's kind of how it began. Like, we, we saw them, I think, like the following year or whatever. And I guess, I guess at some point, a uh, conversation was struck up about the fact that we were in bands. Because we didn't, you know, hey, we're in bands the moment we meet them or whatever. Because I was an inhuman then, and and John was doing synthetic back then. So, and I it pretty much, I guess, just one day when synthetic was making the record, about to make the record, John was like, "I have this great idea. Let's get, let's just, you know, I'm going to ask Misty Monday to be <laughs> great idea for sure." Yeah, because before she blew up. Oh, absolutely. After that, this is all. This is you know, a year or two into that Factory 2000 era. And it was kind of after that that she made all those dozens of uh, spoof movies and softcore stuff and things like that. I mean, these movies that were kind of had like softcore sex in them, but not really. They were more kind of focused on like weird horror. Yeah, very yeah, very interesting stuff because I, I remember I posted like everyone was doing like 10 album covers. So what I decided to do was do movies. So one day I posted my first one was Spider Babe and yeah. your oh, yeah. fucking brother was like, let me tell you a story about this. And then <laughs> that's when he explained to me and I was like, what are the chances? Yeah. The, the first movie well, I pick, man. And it's like I've never met your brother, but like we're so connected in like the strangest ways <laughs> that it's like I, I don't know him, but I love that guy <laughs> well that's the thing it's funny like you know i uh, time goes on and i kind of get my taste get a bit heavier you know out of like the standard heavy metal you graduated to thrash metal at some point as people of, of a certain age and era tended to do and it was all about anthrax metallica slayer nuclear assault and you know things like that and uh, my friends and I, we were like, we were the BMX riders, you know, like BMX thrash metal kids in the neighborhood. And there were these, what we were thought, you know, punk rock skateboard kids in the neighborhood. They were only like a year or two older than us. And uh, we became friends, you know, first it was a little standoffish because we were metalheads, even though everybody has short hair, of course. <laughs> um, and they were like, you know, well, we're not punk rockers. I'm like, well, what, what do you mean you're not punk rockers? We're hardcore kids. And we're like, what the fuck is a hardcore kid? <laughs> <laughs> and that's right around the time when I get my first mixtapes made for me at the very beginning of 88, actually. And that just really kind of pretty much makes me drop thrash metal for dead, honestly. Like, hearing... The Bad Brains and Warzone and Sick of It All and Mags and Agnostic Front, the Breakdown, Crump Suckers, all on one tape, mind you. All of their, you know, releases of the time on one 90-minute tape. I was just like, this is the greatest music I've ever heard in my life. I was like, it's faster than thrash metal. It's a little angrier than thrash metal. And the way Hardcore was explained to me by these new friends of mine, it was like, yeah, all these guys, there's no rock stars. There's no high door prices. You know, you get to jump off the stage. The band is in the crowd. But like, oh, the way it was explained to me, I guess, as like a 14-year-old, I was just like, this is unbelievable. And I finally got to my first show 
in May of 88. I'm a freshman. You know, the, the year is almost over, uh, the school year. And um, I, I sneak out. I say I'm sleeping at a friend's house. And I gave my parents like, a fake phone number. <laughs> I thought Paul. But of course, they called it because their 14-year-old is staying at a strange friend from high school's house. Now, but that night, I saw a super touch token entry, Murphy's Law, Bad Brain at the Ritz. And wow, that, 88 like, too. That, I mean, the deal had kind of already been sealed, but that really sealed the deal, you know? Who stole the show that night? <sighs> Probably Murphy's Law, because oddly enough, as great as Bad Brains were, this was when they had their first of three replacement singers in that band. Uh, H had quit the band a month or so before for the first time. And a guy named Hodge, T-A-J, was the singer that night. He was awesome, though. He was really good. He kind of looked like HR. He definitely sang like HR. But I did not get to see him with HR until about a little under a year later at Lamore. Hmm. Um, I think Murphy's Law was like on fucking real that night. Um, they had, you know, it was them with Todd Youth on guitar. And it was it was like the, the lineup of like Back with a Bong, like, you know, prime era Murphy's Law. And it was just so great. But I was I was a huge token entry fan. And they were amazing as well. I was a Super Touch fan also. Like, it was just, it was unbelievable kind of night for a 14-year-old kid with an ID that said he was 16. <laughs> and then that kind of just, like, set it forward right there. I mean, did you leave there thinking, like, I need to start a hardcore band? Um, yes. Uh, well, actually, it's funny because the, the, the band's roots were already kind of getting started. Of, of playing hardcore music because I was already playing like freshman, like I was already a bass player, you know? Um, <laughs> so what's funny is about not even two months later, I join up with some other kids in the neighborhood. Uh, my friend, this dude James on drums and um, this dude Chris on guitar and get had dude Ray. And they had a band called uh, direct approach and they needed a bass player. And I was like, oh, I'm a bass player. I can play bass. And they just kind of took me in and they're like, listen, we're going to be on this compilation. I'm like, what? Really? We, we, ha- we haven't even played a show. Yeah, yeah. My, you know, my friend Freddie and this dude Chaka are putting out a compilation mm-hmm. called the New Breed Compilation. And we're going to be on it. And we, we got to get these two songs ready. I went, okay. I mean, I'm 15. I'm like, sure. Okay, let's do it. We did it. I mean, the songs were as ready as they could be. And by like the beginning of August of 88, we're at Don Fury Studios recording two songs live for a band that had just formed that had never played a single show. And you're 15, you're, you said you were 15? Yeah, 15 years old. And this, is, this is, has to be the first time you've ever recorded, right? Absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and did, um, did you guys... First time I've ever recorded. And it's funny, like, I remember it now going downstairs into that... You know, his studio was in, like, in the village, literally, I can't remember, Demo Demo Studios. Don Fury was, like, the coolest-looking dude back then. He had, like, this kind of pompadour, and, like, it already kind of produced a bunch of hardcore records already. Um, But I remember, like, Baca from, from you know, Burning Orange Mine was there, the dude Freddie was there, and I'm, I'm the youngest dude in the room, I think. Or I think Chris might have been one year older than me. Chris went on to form Marauder uh, a little while later. His name is Karate Chris. It was his nickname. He was the first guitar player with Saab and Marauder. And I was just like, 
I don't know. I think I was just kind of in awe of everything, you know. <laughs> but we recorded them. We did not get more than one take. And there are fuck-ups on the songs. These songs are on, uh, you know, iTunes. And the, it, it came out as, like, this 20th anniversary thing in 2009 on CD and vinyl. And you could hear these songs. The band is called Direct Approach. It's called the New Breed Compilation. And, and the band broke up, like, weeks later. We never played one fucking show a lot. Oh, man. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, the comp has, like, you know, Killing Time and Breakdown. It's got amazing bands on it. That's and a, then it's got these like young kids to bay on. That that's a great first thing to to be yeah, on. I would love to see that picture if anybody ever took a picture of that. You know, <laughs> you, uh, they're called No Respect and and True Vision. You could, yeah, they're on music. They're on Spotify. It's pretty wild. Um, but like a few months, maybe a month or two after that, the close call band forms with me and John and Tom and our friend Mark on vocals and uh wayne on drums and that was like the first proper band in my opinion you know direct approach was almost like like a goof it was like it was just like it just happened and it was just our singer knew the right people and we ended up on this compilation you know the compilation didn't even come out to like the spring or summer of 89 like it, it took a while to come out and you know i didn't even get a copy of it i, I still never even got an official copy I mean, I have the the, the vinyl and CD now. <laughs> like in the '90s, a, a, a European guy bootlegged a, a numbered CDR of it with like a booklet, and um, that's you know that's crazy how that happens. Like you know, like something you create when you're like 15, and some dudes like CDRing it in like in another country. Yep. <laughs> like that's fucking wild, you know. And like yeah, and here yeah, you are yeah. for, from 15 to like recording still recording now like it's it's so much fun to think about the fact that you know like music you know is so much to me so much to, to parker so much to you that you know we, we just continue to do it yeah i mean i've you know I, i've toured the states I've, I've toured europe i i've you know i've done a lot there's still some things i still want to do obviously i'm not I'm not stopping anytime soon but it's definitely been a lot of fun and it's been like a, a crazy fucking journey you know i mean but around i guess around late 89 going to chronological oh yeah yeah post call kind of breaks up we made two demos we, we went to down fury twice and made two demos um the first one i was 15 and the second one i was 16 we made two demos in one year actually both in 89 um we were a really good band actually close call some of those tracks are on uh youtube a friend of mine is going to try to get everything up on YouTube. Um, we we kind of sounded like, I don't know, we sounded a lot like Token Entry meets Leeway meets Breakdown. I would say those three bands in particular were, were, were definitely, you know, our influences. We were influenced by every single band of the day, I think, back then. But those were the bands like we really liked. Yeah, Lee, um, Leeway m must have been big, definitely. Like, I just... Oh, yeah. Seeing Leeway in 80, between 88 and 91 was ridiculous, man. Talk about a band that was just, like, ahead of its time and just so popular and so great. And they were just, like, ridiculous live back then. I mean, they were just... It was so special. Like, you, 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 you thought that they were going to be the biggest band in the world. 
Well, because that they were one of the they were one of the biggest bands in New York City, hundred percent, and maybe on like the Northeast and the East Coast. You know, they went to California with Bad Brains. There's footage of some great shows from back then, but you know, shit happened with that band, and they didn't become one of the biggest bands in the world. But in my opinion, I always thought that they could have and should have. You know? Yeah, because I mean, like you listen to the. Um you know, just the the influences that they were pouring out, like Eddie just had, he sang like no one else in that area. Cause yeah, he, I mean, not many melody. people in uh. the hardcore scene can sing. And he was a singer, yeah. you know what I'm saying? So they had that in their pocket. And then they had the, the, the musicianship of like Michael Gibbons in their fucking pocket, like one of the ridiculous guitar work, and AJ Novello, ridiculous rhythm guitar player. It was just like, wow. And just so catchy and just original, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, especially for that, like you said, everything was so abrasive, and here they come with those chops, and yeah, uh, it, just that mixture of, like, the best of metal and the best of hardcore. Yeah, and a little bit of, the, and of course, the, the hip-hop kind of, like, yeah. swagger, and and it's just, wow, man, it, just, it was just really cool to see them back then, like, holy shit. The first time I saw them was, in, um, was uh, October of 88. There was a benefit for Pete from Sick of It All, who had some some legal trouble. He got into some fight at a show, and um, it was like leeway. Sick of It All, raw deal. I think Maximum Penalty played that show too. It was like this like stacked bill, and uh, straight ahead even played. It was a band that was like really big that had broken up a year or so before, and it was just leeway headline that show, and it was like wow, it was bonkers, you know. And and uh, when did you actually just pick up the mic to start singing? Well, that's not until after an entire cycle of another band called Confusion. Um, oh, okay. Confusion was around from 90 to 94, and I was the bass player of that band. And we, what separated us from everybody else was we were mixing death metal and New York City hardcore, I don't know, about six, seven years before anyone thought to do that, in my opinion. And um, we were calling it deathcore then. That term deathcore now means really crappy music. Like it doesn't mean, <laughs> it, it does not mean the melding of good hardcore and good death metal. So it means like people with like floppy hair and it's just, it means really something else now. But back then it meant like you mixed, you know, outbursts and obituary. You know what I'm saying? Like it meant you had short songs with very brutal riffs and just, all breakdowns and like but it was made by hardcore kids and were you you venturing because i know that you you got into to death too but were you were you venturing you know listening to death metal bands by that time yeah that's what happened the thing is this in 1990 the new york city hardcore scene had literally vanished due to like violence and just bands breaking up left and right bands changing their sound some of the only bands that didn't do that like were like sheer terror thick of it all you had leeway and you had murphy's law and that's really like about it af broke up in like 92 all these other bands broke up like token entry broke up rest in pieces broke up youth today broke up the scene just imploded barring a small handful of bands okay so what happened was in in brooklyn a bunch of hardcore bands formed and Diffusion was one of them. And and like and that was the year my brother's John's band Lament formed. And you had some other bands like Nobody's Perfect 
and Patterns, Marauder, My Fagony, and all these bands from South Brooklyn formed as a pretty much made up of dudes who went to the shows in the city but didn't get the chance to play CBs because everything just, like I said, just kind of stopped at one point in the city. Um, so we kind of made our own way at Lemoore and a place called uh, the Crazy Country Club and just kind of wherever we could really, you know, like we put Long Island or Jersey or wherever. And that was an interesting time. Like what would happen to me and some friends around that time is, although we loved hardcore and we were still in the hardcore scene, we discovered death metal and we loved death metal. And we thought it was, for me, it was just like the next step. You know what I'm saying? It was like the next level of intensity. Whereas I went from brash metal to hardcore. I went from hardcore to death metal. What was the first death metal, you know? What was the first death metal album that you, that you stumbled upon that you loved? Oh, I bought Cause of Death on cassette at Slip Disc in Long Island. And this is when I was already, you know, a hardcore dude for a few years. Um, and Saab from Marauder was one of my good friends. He told me all about them. And my friend Johnny Zito told me all about them because I was a horror fan. And they were like, you have to hear this band. It's like horror metal. It's like the singer doesn't even have lyrics. It just sounds like he's screaming and dying. <laughs> you have to hear it. And it's pretty much that's what the first two obituary records really kind of sounded like. There, there weren't, there are no lyrics in those, any of those records. So I was floored. I fucking loved it. And then I heard uh, Death. And then I heard, you know, I just, The Aside and Morbid Angel and Entombed. And I was like, this is fucking amazing. Like, I love this. Like, like I said, I always wanted, like, I always was in, enticed by what was next and what was heavier and what was more brutal and what was more exciting. I remember I heard Ministry for the first time around that time and I heard God Flesh. Like, all this new music was happening and it was new music, you know? It was new genres of music. And I was getting exposed to it and I just, I didn't abandon anything. I took it all with me, you know? Some people would, would be abandoned and then just, you know, kind of become new, a new person. I didn't become a new person. I just became like a music addict. That's what was, you know, that's kind of what was happening to me, you know? Do you think, do you think hardcore can evolve or, or is just hardcore just hardcore? Well, no, see, here's the thing. Like, that's hard to answer because... Like right now, there's a new hardcore band that sounds like it's 30 years ago because that's the kind of hardcore they like, right? Yeah. And then uh, the three towns over, there's a new hardcore band that sounds like, I don't know, Snapcades or that sounds like, say, I don't know, like American Nightmare. Like everyone kind of has their own interpretation, but it's all kind of under that one umbrella and it, it's all it's all correct you know yeah i just think that it's just different styles i mean to some people the beat down stuff is is not hardcore in the slightest but i know people who are diehard hardcore fans that do love that genre of music and i'm not gonna tell them they're not a hardcore person because they like that genre because and they may not like you know youth of today i mean I just think it's just very um, sectionalized and it's, it's so sectionalized that I just, I can't tell anybody that they're wrong, you know, because there's so much history now. Hardcore is, it'll be 40 years old soon. You know what I'm saying? 
And to some people, if it's not short songs, fast songs, it's not hardcore. And that's okay. They can believe that. But I don't know. I feel like to a degree it did evolve, you know, and it can be a bit different than that and still be hardcore. Yeah, I mean, it's the same thing with, like, every music. You know, like, you could say the same thing about hip-hop. Like, for me, like, obviously, I know you're not as well-versed in hip-hop, but, like, just to, to touch on it briefly, it's like, you know, the newer stuff today, you know, that's popular, people look at it, and they're like, I don't even understand anything. Yeah, I hate new rap. I, it's funny, I really liked rap from about, I would say, 87 to about 93, 94. Oh, so I actually, the did. golden era. Yeah. <laughs> Rap, when I was in high school, between 87 and 91, was really good. And then in, in college, it was really good, okay? The only other record that I actually feel like I enjoyed in the 2000s is a 15-year-old record. It's the Outcast Speaker Box Love Below record. And I like that record because it, in a way, it just reminds me, reminds me of like almost like a, a 2000s answer to like Paul's critique. It's very all over the place, you know? Oh, yeah, very much so. And you can kind of listen to it and find something different about it. Like, I mean, it's almost it's two, it's almost like two solo records in one. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, it is actually. There's so much going on on those records. And I and I think at, the, at that time in my life, I just, I don't know how that record found me somehow because there was a lot of hits, I guess, from it. And then I just kind of hunkered down, I remember, and I would listen to that record a lot back then and it has been that long since i've enjoyed a record like that you know yeah i mean like, I'm a big jay-z guy i'm not a big Nas guy and this i'm gonna lose fans for this <laughs> i think it's just highly annoying to me honestly i just i never got i never even got them like you know i love nwa and i love the ghetto boys yeah the most honestly because I was coming from a place of like crazy, hardcore fights, horror movies, and nuttiness. You know what I'm saying? So that's why I love those two bands. Yeah, and those you know? two, those two, those two groups definitely came from that chaos. Right. And it was still right. new, like in the early eighty, like late eighties, like you know, the, like you were just like, holy shit! Like the stuff that they were talking about really was kind of like a report or like a, a view, just like the oh, hardcore the scene. Boys, the Cowboys to me. I almost feel like they they heard Greta Compton and were like, oh, man, we can wipe the floor with this one. We can up the ante by 10 on this one. And they probably were horror fans, too, and there are those weird horror references in there, and there's some crazy, great shit on that self-titled record. And there's just, just like, there's stuff on that record now that if a bunch of early 20, 20s dudes formed a rap group, and decided to jump in that pool, they would get thrown physically out of the record company office. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and don't forget the album cover where, where Bushwick Bill is, you know, laying on a gurney after being oh, yeah. shot in the eye. Like, I mean, honestly, but like, I fucking love those records. Like, there was just something about those records. I don't know. Like, maybe it's just no, of its time, they're great. Guess, you know? Take, I mean, that's a tech. It wasn't just about the insane lyrics and violence and shit. They had great beats, and it was, you know, it was like it was like catchy. I don't know. I just I liked it a lot. Yeah, I mean, I agree. And then and like the, metal, the black metal that that came after it for me were just, 
I guess like an extension of that, like and and finding black metal around 93, 94 came out of death metal. And literally 25 years ago now, my brother Kevin, who, you know, has the wrestling podcast and stuff, he used to buy Kerrang! magazine every week at the record store Zigzag, right? And I remember, you know, uh, he, I would read it and I'd read through it. And there was this thing about black metal on the cover. And it's a dude with the face paint and, and a knife. I'm like, what the fuck is black metal? Like, you know, I know what death metal is. I know what thrash metal is. What is black metal? And that was my exposure to black metal. And sure enough, a few weeks later, there was a thing about the murders, mayhem and Burzum. And, and they featured all those bands. And that was it. It was like, holy shit. This is, this is it. I like, this is. Are you waiting for that movie? You know what? I think the movie might be terrible, but I'm, I'm going to see it anyway because, well, why not, right? Yeah, <laughs> I'm with I mean, you. I saw I Meg mean, today, you know? <laughs> why not? I mean, of course it's going to be a clusterfuck, but who knows? I mean, I don't know, man. I, I just feel like everything and anything is up for grabs. Nothing is really sacred. But the very cool thing about that movie is that not one fucking band signed off on, on a, a, a soundtrack and not one band gave their okay for their music to be like prominently featured. Not one of those dudes is in the movie. So the integrity of those guys to me is intact. Uh, if somebody wanted to make a life story about you, Sam, they could. You know what I'm saying? They, didn't, they won't need your permission per se. Yeah. Or someone wanted to write a book about you. Like they attempted to get in touch with all those guys and all those bands. Almost every single one of them said "fuck you" and no. I mean, so, isn't that their shtick? And not, I don't want to say shtick, but it like, isn't that like kind of like? I, I'd be more surprised if any one of them did sign on. Oh. No, because I the thing is, I just feel like so few things have integrity today. But I feel like a lot of those dudes do have some integrity, even though some people think they don't. Another story. I think they do. And it's about the deaths of their friends. And it's real. It's real to those people. You know very, very real. Yeah. It really happened, you know? So those things really went on. And I'm, I'm glad to see that there's, you know, they would just were like, fuck off, you know? Because I feel like some people in different genres of music might have not have said that. You know what I'm saying? You know, I think at the end of the day, sometimes, you know, it's unfortunate, but like some, you know, money, money talks sometimes. And if you have enough bills, you know, and you're just like, fuck it. So, um, yeah, yeah. and I but, get that. The, the, the confusion band did had a, had a, had a really good run actually. Um, and we were playing with a lot of good death metal bands and good hardcore bands, played the wetlands a lot, Lamore a lot, played with Deicide like twice. Um, played with Cannibal Corpse uh, in like 92. It was great. But our singer, Mike, went away to college in 94, thus ending the band. Um, around that time, I had had the name Inhuman in my pocket, you know, for a new band that I was going to sing for. I knew I wanted to sing throughout 94, actually. Did you try it? Or were you singing backups yeah, on any of these? I actually bought a microphone and I would, I would sing uh, at home along to uh, Elvis, Leveling Creation, and Exhorter. Oh, the, those three bands, by the way. 
You know what's? Let me just say real quick. Human was not going to be a hardcore band, by the way. Okay, because to me, um, I just actually stumbled across Exhorter, and um, they're fucking great. It's crazy shit that okay, band. Yeah. Those two, those two albums. Like, I don't know how they like they missed me because I'm a big thrash metal guy, and mm-hmm. somebody mentioned them. Uh, might have been Rich Jacko, and I, I don't remember who, but like I listened. It might have been actually Derek from oh, ne- Neglect. You know why you mentioned there's two reasons. Number one, it came out in ninety and ninety two. Yep. Two things were popular in those times. You're right. Yep. Death metal and grunge. You're right. That's why you missed those records. You're right, because I was probably listening to Nevermind yep. at thirteen. Along with everybody else. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they, they missed they, they got in the ninety arguably is the last year of Thrash Metal, nineteen ninety. Okay. Yeah, seasons. They got their first record in they got their first record in time, but guess what came out that year as well? Cowboys from Hell. Oh yeah. They sound very much alike. Not a lot alike. Vocally they sound alike. Phil was a fan of the band, was friends with the band, and there's tales and stories of just how much of an influence he may or may not have, you know, taken from them and this and that. People have argued that for the last 25, 30 years. And 92, when their second record drops, the death metal's in full swing in the underground. Thrash is dead. Nobody gives a rat's ass about Thrash unless you're Slayer or Metallica or Megadeth, honestly. Um, but even then, even the them, they, they weren't their way out. Like, they, were, they went on this tour with, like, Entombed, and they, they kind of, they imploded. They, they broke up on tour, and they never even got to play New York. They were supposed to play Lamore, actually, and they didn't play. And when they played Vitus uh, earlier this year, the singer went, this is our first ever show in New York City. And I was like, I knew it. I knew this was their first ever show in New York City. Oh, that's right. You it went. Was- I remember. I remember yeah. you posted because that's – yeah. Hey, yo, how do you – I mean, were, are, you're not a, a straight-edge guy, but, I mean, I'm just thinking oh, – I was, actually. I was straight-edge um, twice, actually. Because you remember everything, like you know, and I'm straight edge when I first got into hardcore because when you first get into something, you're like gung ho about it. So I was straight edge in '88, and then uh, I broke my edge in like '89, and then I became straight edge again from '96 to '98, two of the most active years of of my touring. Actually, why? I was straight edge. Why did you do that then? I wanted to. I wanted to be. I I was very um, kind of like sucked in by a combination of the past and the present let's just say you know yep um of of my older like teen age straight edge days and then i think one night i i had been i'd smoked some pot i wasn't a big pot guy at all and it was like early 96 and i'd smoked pot at a party and i had this horrendous reaction to it right and I came home and I was like, yeah, I'm done. I was like, I don't ever want to feel like that ever again. Even though I was, again, I wasn't a pothead. I just, maybe it was like a lace with something. Who the fuck knows what it was, but somebody, it was, somebody angry, was trying to bang you. Angry at myself, right? Maybe <laughs> angry at myself. And I was straight edge for over two years. I, I stopped being straight edge around, um, I believe it was October of, eight, of 98. Yes. So it's been a long time. Wow, but you, and when did you start to save all these flyers and all these like memorabilia type things? Because I mean, throughout the whole time, yeah, throughout the whole time, right? Because I mean, I guess like for me, like I started saving ticket stubs. You know, yeah, from... I have a lot of ticket stubs, I have a lot of flyers, and then I have like a lot of 
like pictures from magazines. Back in the day, the metal magazine, sometimes they would have some hardcore pictures. They always had Chromex pictures because Chromex looked the coolest. And Harley and John had tons of tattoos. There's all these great color pinup pullouts of the Chromex in metal magazines from back in the day. I have a lot of those, actually. Um, and then Leeway started creeping into some of them, too. I have some of them. And then every once in a while, you'd see Murphy's Law. Like, you'd see, like, the bigger hardcore bands. Then Sick of It All... Um, uh, it was a magazine initially. It was called Thrash Metal Magazine, and it became Metal Maniacs. And Metal Maniac had a great run. Run. It was it was around for like a really long time, but it always kind of you know dipped its toes into some hardcore stuff uh, with most of like the death metal, and the black metal, and doom metal, and shit. Um, that was like a great magazine. Um, going going back to like you know the, the start of Inhuman, then like uh, mm-hmm. you said that you weren't like it wasn't going to be a hardcore band. No, it was actually going to be an extension of confusion. It was going to be this crazy, brutal band, right? Like death grind, like heavy band. And then what happened was shutdown had formed my younger brother's band. And I was going to all of their shows. And I was, you know, and I was, I just had kind of been like, like my love of like traditional hardcore was kind of rekindled by shutdown. And then and hearing a band called Ignite who put out their first album around that time too, called Call On My Brothers. And hearing that and, and, sh- and, you know, seeing shutdown and listening to them and like seeing, like seeing them reminded me of like both the youth of today from like seven, eight years prior. You know what I mean? And I love that kind of stuff. And that stuff just wasn't happening anymore, you know? And I don't know. I just, it was like, I just was like, you know what? Like, maybe I, maybe I don't know. Maybe I don't want to do something that's just like Confusion. I did Confusion thing for four years. Maybe I want to do like a straight hardcore band again. And that's, was, it was like a conscious decision that stylistically, no, that, that's not what it's going to be. It's going to be a hardcore band. And this was around the spring of 95. I started writing the riffs and have lyrics. I had a ton of lyrics. I had a bunch of riffs. And some of the riffs even go back to 94. Like, I, I was the primary inhuman songwriter of music and lyrics for a while, actually. Later, it just became lyrics. But initially, I wrote almost all the music for the band, too. Wow. So. And, and for someone like Mark, like your, your younger brother, I mean, did, did you, I guess you had a lot of influence on him? Yeah, see, that's the thing. I took John to his first hardcore show just months after I went to mine, right? And then Mark started coming to my shows in 93 when he was 13 or 14. Yeah, 14. So it was like history repeating itself, really, with Mark and me. Um, Mark loved going to Confusion. Mark loved hanging out with all the fucking... Brooklyn maniacs and you know what I'm saying and jumping off stage and getting treated like he was the fucking golden child because he was me and John's brother. <laughs> yeah, 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 of course. It was great. It was a great time, you know. Um Mark would go to shows at Lamore when he was like 14 and 15. He was at like Bond Street or at 14 like he was going everything because he was with his two older brothers, you know. But I think his sophomore year at 15 him and uh, Justin from Indecision formed Shutdown, actually. Justin was one of the first guys in the band. But he kind of just helped Mark get the band off the ground. 
I don't know if he ever actually even played a single show with Shutdown Johnson because he was doing Indecision. Indecision was already uh, out. They came out in like 93. So Indecision is like 93, Shutdown is 94, and Inhumans 95. Wow. And we all kind of were playing together a lot. Um, so, so the Brooklyn scene was um, basically on fire then, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, but the, your biohazard and life agony were gone. You know what I'm saying? You had Shutdown, Indecision, Inhuman and Marauder, you know? Uh, Life of Agony was a fucking rock band, dude. I mean, they, they, you know, by that point, they were not... Yeah, like... Ri- playing, you know, they weren't playing with any of us anymore, really. You know? Ur- Urban <laughs> Discipline and River Runs Red took off together, it yeah, seemed. Yeah, well, was doing, like, the like the Modeleo, and, like, it was... They, they, they were not the band that they were just a few years prior by, by the later 90s, you know what I'm saying? Um... And there was so much going on in the scene with newer New York City bands and like Sycamores on fire. Everybody was doing great. And it was like Biohazard was doing this weird metal rap thing. And that you didn't think of like Brooklyn. Like when you thought of Brooklyn, you thought of our band. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Back then. Biohazard was the early 90s. You know, this is the late 90s. So... Things were different. You also had Candiria. You just Brooklyn had some other cooler, like newer bands going on. You know. So you guys would all play together. You know, yeah. like you, you, your brother's band, and what what was John doing at this time? Let's see. Lament had, had broken up. John, I'm trying to think. So the X16, I think, formed in like '98 or '99. But before that, there was a band that led up to that in '97 called Tony Stark. He had this short-lived post-hardcore band called Tony Stark. He, he told me to listen to that. Tony Stark, High Tech, Low Life, it's EP. It's really good. It's similar to Synthetic 16. Not as good, though, in my opinion. Synthetic okay. is be better. Um, but some people really liked Tony Stark. They were like, you know, post-hardcore. Yeah, wow, man. So, like, it's, it's so different then, you know, because, I mean... Uh, I guess John was doing his thing, and then you and Mark were were waving that yeah, hardcore yeah. flag. Me and Mark were still at home in Sheepshead Bay. John had, you know, John was the first brother to move out. John moved eight hundred times. Like you know, what I'm saying, like he was always in different places and doing different things. And you know, he, he was devoted to his job back then. And you know, but he would still he would still go to the shows from time to time and hang out. You know, but yeah, the Inhuman thing, like it was weird. I just. I was just was very inspired by the rebirth of hardcore in 95, to be honest. And still listening to death metal, black metal, still listening to everything. You know what I'm saying? But it, it wasn't that big in 90. Like you think, like you figure arguably in 95, like hardcore was bigger, like metal, you know, aside from like maybe the at the gates record and Pantera, mm-hmm. like, yeah, um, no, that was in a weird place. Unless you were like typo Pantera. Oh, yeah. Yep. Or, yeah, or you're in the underground. It was dead, yes, 100%. Um, there was a lot of shitty new metal coming down the pike a little later on. Um, what's funny is though, some people even forget about the death metal and black metal stuff where they say, metal was gone back then. It's like, no, you idiot. It wasn't gone. It was It was actually there was some great stuff happening. Like You know what I'm saying? Like That, that always would kind of irk me, you know, as, as like a big metal fan. Or when they say that grunge killed metal and so hmm no oh, i yeah that's ridiculous I, 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 metal in the grunge era actually that's probably not true 
because that's when death metal let me like if you were an underground kid it was a great time you know but i was weird i was i was listening to that and i was listening to house and chain and sound garden and i was listening to godflesh ministry and the sisters of mercy and like i just again i don't know i just kind of was like a sponge really you know do you feel like, I mean, like, when you write songs, like, when you're in a band, like, obviously, like, I'm in a band, you're in a band, um, I think it's, like, good to be a sponge, you know? Like, it helps you come from different angles when you write. I agree. I mean, lately, I try to not be as influenced by, uh, the like, the exact same stuff that's going on, like, in the hardcore scene, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm a little harder to impress with hardcore because I play hardcore. Okay. I'll do that. Uh, especially as I get older. Um, I feel like I, I listen to a lot more newer death metal and black metal, honestly. You do. Um, you yeah. Do, you I, do because I remember we were making lists last year and yeah. I posted my list and you just wrote, well, at least we agree on movies. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, what is this? Yeah. And what are you listening to? But. Um, I'm, the thing is this I um <laughs> that's where if, if I had the time and, and who knows that 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 time may happen I, I probably would have like a proper metal band as well honestly you know um like a like a like like a singing metal or just like more of like a death or know, black like, like I don't know maybe like like I love the first four Danzig records very much we talk about it me too and nobody and and I mean, I feel like so many people love that stuff and they talk about how much they love that stuff. Yet I've never really heard a band even attempt anything remotely like that stuff. Well, I mean, because for fear of being compared to it, but are they metal though? Ways to be influenced by something and not completely rip it off, you know? And I feel like that would be something I would love to do. You know what I'm saying? But also from aside from that, a part of me also wants to do like something in the wheelhouse of the confusion stuff, the, 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 the really fucking heavy death metal meets like street kind of hardcore music. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like just different from the last stand and different from Inhuman, you know, Inhuman is a very strange. Like, I, I think we are a hardcore band and we've, we've always been a hardcore band, but we've never really sounded quite like what was popular at any time we've put out any of our albums in a way. Is that by design? Well, no, it just, I don't know. I mean, we always did whatever we wanted. Like if you listen to, uh, like the new nightmare record, which is our third record. And some people say it's our best record. I kind of think it's a toss up between that one and the one after it last rights. I just feel like there's this great flow of that record where like, I just feel like there's no filler. Like, you know what I mean? Um, but the last record I really like because it just captures like the darkness of the band, you know, what we would call like dark, like hardcore punk metal. Like we've been called that a bunch, you know? Um, but like, honestly for me, it's just, I don't know. We, we, we're all so much kind of on the same page sometimes that whatever Joe, my guitar player would come up with musically, 
almost nine times out of 10, eight times out of 10, we'd be like, we like that. Let's do, let's go with that. You know what I'm saying? Or I'd come in with something like a, like an entire, like the lyrics of a whole song. We have a song called Grindhouse on our last record. I wrote the lyrics in 2005. That movie came out in 2007. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, the lyrics are about a book about the Grindhouse cinema of New York City. And I was inspired by that book and just being obsessed with that whole culture of like Times Square and the late 60s through, you know, through about the early mid 80s. We love and old New York stuff. Yeah. I mean, I was a Tarantino fan. I was just like, oh, shit, he's got a movie coming out called Grindhouse. And we had like a laugh about it because our album was coming out. But the song was written two years prior to that, you know. So it's kind of funny. And we, we love old New York oh, stuff. Please Art Express. Uh, the book is amazing. It's a must-read book. Um, the guy who uh, who wrote it actually is he's dead. He had a fanzine called Sleaze Art Express back in the day, and uh, it's really good. It's called Sleaze Art Express. Sorry for repeating myself. By Bill Landis and Michelle Clifford. I urge you guys to check it out. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, anything New York sleaze era, I love. Yeah, yeah. You, you probably devour the book. It's really good. I'm old enough to remember all that shit, too, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're probably also one of the only New York hardcore bands to write a song about being a vampire, uh, too. And it, and it's it, it's a song on a third record called Eternal. And the song, musically, it's like a straight kind of hardcore punk song, but the lyrics are, it's a vampire just kind of talking about himself. And about his life. This is kind of weird. So, so for anyone listening right now, like that's the record you would tell them to start with if they want to dip into. Oh, yeah, yeah. A lot of people love the first record, Evolver. Evolver is two demos put together. <laughs> Evolver is two like EPs, two different lineups put together as our first record. But it did really good. Came out on Eyeball Records in '97, and and you know sold a lot of those on CD. Nice. The second record is on Exit Wreckage. It's called Rebellion. And it falls a little bit to that second record curse, you know, where you have your whole life to write your first record. Yeah, man. X amount of time to write your second record, which is kind of what, exactly what happened. We did a lot of touring in 97 and 98, right? And we signed to that label in like late 98, and we had to get the record out. By I don't know, it was the late summer, early fall of '99, we had the chorus and lost the drummer. We got a new drummer in, and it was a little rushed. What's funny is it did really good in Europe. It got a European re-release two years later, actually. Um, Do you get to go to Europe because of that? We got to go to Europe after that record. Actually, we got to go in between that one, and after that, we did this EP called Black Rain in late 2002. Um, on this European label called Release Power Productions. So in between that and New Nightmare, we went to Europe in March, April of uh, 2003, which was which was a lot of fun. It was really cool. What do, you, what do you, like, attribute to the fact that, you know, the band's, like, 23 years old and you guys still basically do it? Like, you know, like... Here's the thing. We, we've never broken up, right? Yeah. But there have been periods of inactivity. Um or one or two shows a year. I got, you know, honestly, but the last two years or so, there's been a renewed like interest and like a renewed, I don't know, 
I mean, we've always been respected. It's funny, bands, people in bands and in bigger bands have always told us how much they liked us, which was always felt, made me feel good, you know? Um, I'll never forget one time we played with, with Underdog in, in the city and Richie Birkenhead, who's literally, I mean, I thank him on the second human record. I don't even know the guy. I just was so inspired by him and like into another and underdog, you know, he was like, man, that was like one of the best hardcore sets I've seen in years. And I just, I never forgot that. You know what I'm saying? Like he didn't have to say that to me, you know? And like, we always got respect from certain bands that we fucking love whenever we would open up for them and we would bigger bands, you know? And that always mean a lot to me. It feels you good, know? man. It feels if it, it, it feels it feels good. Like same thing for me. Like whenever you know, like we're not a popular band, we're not you know whatever. But like when we play, and certain people that we play with, uh, or like anyone in the audience, like man, that was just fucking really good. Like it just you feel like all this work. I mean, I would do it anyway because it's just passion, and I fucking love right, writing songs. Right. But it's nice to get like that acknowledgement or that heads up by you know somebody's like that was pretty fucking good because you don't have to say shit. <laughs> Like around the time of our 20th anniversary, Paul Bear from Shit Bear asked us to play with them at his annual Christmas show. We were like, oh, shit, man, that's fucking awesome. Thank you, man. Like, that was great, you know? And then, uh, little, like, for, was it like the October of 2016, Sick of It All asked us to play one of their 30th anniversary shows um, for their the Triborough tour they did. They did Queens, yeah. Manhattan, and Brooklyn, and they asked us to play the Brooklyn show. I mean, that's fucking, I mean, we don't, you know, you can't fucking turn that down number one <laughs> and number two it's like to me it just shows that like you do have fucking respect and people do like you you know what i'm saying yeah but honestly like you said have have these opportunities not come along in the recent years we'd probably still be doing it at, at our own fucking level like the the only way we want to do it you know like it's been the four the same four guys for a very long time um I'm the only guy that's been in the band 23 years, obviously, but Joe has been with me for 20 years, Hank for like 18 years, and Steve for over 15 years. So that's inhuman. You know what I'm saying? Um, the other ex-members, it's funny. That's all kind of a part of this extended kind of family. You know, Walter, uh, who did a lot of the touring with us and is on two of our records, and uh Jay, my first bass player, and Larry, first guitar player. They made the demo and half the first album. Everybody's, you know, it, it, I still talk to these people and still see these people. And it's like, you know, these are good friends of mine. Nick, who was on the first two records on drums. They're like my, you know, my family too, you know. 23 years is a long time. And, and we do it because we love it. We do it at our own fucking pace, you know. There's no pressure. Uh, we have a lot of fun. I mean, they're like three of my, my brothers. They are my brothers, you know. Uh, we have a lot of fun together, actually. <laughs> Probably too much fun, as you might see on our Instagram. I and, do. Uh, I do. You, you know, you, you definitely, you know, what I like about you is you, you document everything, everything that you do. Because, you, no, but you know what it is? Um, people use social media for, like, the shittiest reasons. You use it for the best reasons, like the reasons oh, yeah. that I love. You'll, you'll never see me ruin people's days on social media. You know what I'm trying to say? Like, you'll never see me, like, talk about how horrible my life is, number one. Even if it is going horrible. Me too. You probably never would know it. Me too. Number two, you never, like, I want people to see 
better kind of things, you know, like, and especially if it comes to like my music, like I want people to like, want to go and check out the page not run from the page (laughs) (laughs) yeah like you know i'm saying like i don't want to be like social media repellent which is quite a few people are you know what i'm saying i Um, i I agree man it's just there's there's no need for there's so much of that in real life and i mean i I don't know i mean i just i i like to think some people's pages will put a, a smile on your face or make you think about something cool or, you know what I'm saying? Well, something you can look forward to or something to re- that you remember, right? Like, you know what I'm saying? One or the other. You're you're good at that because, like, you, you do what I do. It's very similar, which is why I respect it. And like I said, you're, you're someone that I admire from afar because I'm like, man, this dude, you know, where we always give people, like, two options because it's, mm-hmm. it's just a conversation starter. You know, you're like Danzig 1 or Danzig 2, <laughs> you know? And then from there, there's, like, 200 comments and everyone's yeah. like, you know, enjoying like, the I day. I don't have to fight anybody. Like sometimes, like one, a few people who will remain nameless insist on just bringing negativity and like saying dumb shit. And it's just like sometimes I'll just be like, "Why? Then why are you here?" That, that'll be my one engagement. Like you know what I'm saying? But like, you know, I, generally I, I try to just stay away from that. But you know, in human is blessed. I, I'm blessed to be. With Positions that I play with, number one, and the friendships that I have, number two, and uh, I threaten new music a lot with Inhuman. Um, I, I, I actually have songs, Inhuman songs, lyrically, three of them. So, you know, it's just weird getting everybody on the same kind of page with what we want to do with the future. Everyone loves, in the band is okay with playing the, the songs we have. We have a lot of songs, you know. And it's stylistically, we could almost play with almost any band imaginable in a way, right? Any type of hardcore punk band imaginable, I think a human could play with. But I, I'm not really finished with what I want to say with the band, you know? So we shall see about new material. Yeah, um, it keeps you going, and, and it's funny because sometimes I see your brother John kind of like pining away because I feel like he misses it, right? Look, I think he does 100%. I can't speak for him. Yeah. As an outsider, I will say he seems like someone who wants to be playing music again, and I hope he does play music again because I think he should be playing music again. Yeah. So that's, that's all I got to say about that. But um, with The Last Stand, it's funny. In, in 2010... Um, yeah, this is your other band because you're currently in two bands. Yeah, I'm in two bands. The Last Stand is the other hardcore band. I'm in, um, made up of the three musicians of my brother Mark's band, Shutdown. Uh, Shutdown kind of broke up, but not officially, in 2001, when my brother Mark moved to Florida. The other guys, you know, stayed in New York. Steve, at one point, was my guitarist, was in the very scene. Steven Delacroce is the only person who had been in, in a band with three Scandato brothers. He's in Shutdown, Synthetic 16, and The Last Stand. Oh, nice. <laughs> yes. Um, but I'm his favorite. Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah. 2010, Dion had been coming to, you know, he would go to Inhuman shows a lot, hang out with us a lot, whatnot, you know. Always was very tighter, probably with him more than Steve and Jimmy, even though there was a time when Jimmy shut down, was in Inhuman for like a year, from like 2003 to 2004. He was like our drummer. Um, 
he did uh we did this mini tour with sick of it all he did that tour with us actually jimmy they're all like you know like your other younger brothers to me you know what i'm saying because they're all younger than me now um dion was like listen i have a whole bunch of music you know new hardcore music i said okay the songs are done the lyrics are done um some of these songs honestly were intended to be new shutdown material. He goes, but honestly, I, you know, I, I don't, Mark isn't moving back. I mean, Mark's, uh, you know, kids have been, have been born at this point, or one of them was actually, one of my nephews was already born. And, you know, Mark had his, his life pretty much secure down in Florida. And he goes, we, we want to do this band, me, Steve and Jimmy, we want you to be the singer of a new band. I was like, really? I was like, okay. You know, let me hear the music. And they sent me the music, and it, a bunch of it was, a lot of it was what was made up of the first um, demo of uh, The Last Stand, which came out later that year. And some of those songs uh, ended up on the album, which came out, uh, you know, two, three years later. And I liked it. It was like, it was more kind of like, I don't know, to a degree old school hardcore, but also very groove oriented. Very like, Rep repetitive riff wise and very heavy on the choruses and a lot of groove i think that's what really separates the last stand from shutdown um and inhuman actually is this kind of groove aspect which i like you know um now i said i actually said yes but let me talk to monk first I said, only because you guys were his band. And I just, I just want to, not that I'm looking for permission. I wasn't looking for permission. I just wanted to get almost like a blessing. I, I think it was the right thing to do. Yeah. And I did do that. And I got the, the blessing, so to speak, you know? Um, and we were up and running pretty fucking fast because 2010, I think in human did a few shows, but not many, you know? And um, my other guys in Human are also in other bands. Uh, Joe and Hank are actually in a, in a new band called Silver Tomb with uh, Kenny Hickey and Johnny Kelly from Typo Negative. Nice. Uh, they, they're actually recording uh, the record uh, this year. They're going out on tour with Life of Agony uh, for a couple of weeks soon. Um, but Henry had been jamming with Kenny forever. Henry was in a band with him called Seventh Void, that put a record out when Pete Steele was alive, actually. I don't know if you remember that. It was like 08, 09 it came out. Hmm. Um, but Red Stand was up and running really fast. Uh, we went in, I did the demo, I did the vocals. Um, we put out, a, it was, I think it was like 400 CD, uh, like a pro CD of the demo, you know what I'm saying? Specifically for, for like a demo to sell shows and shit. And it got a good response, you know? The first shows we did were with Shutdown because Mark came in for a weekend around October of 2010 and we opened the shows basically. <laughs> like um, Steve, Jimmy, and Dion would, you know, would kind of play first and then Shutdown would, you know, play later. Like our first show was at Bowery Electric, uh, The Last Stand. We opened it up. It was like Shutdown, Maximum Penalty. It was like a really cool show. Um, but we also did um, the Tsunami Fest that year, like Shelter played. I mean, we were, we were pretty green, you know, and uh, but we were getting a lot of good show offers because it was, you know, 
the guys from Inhuman in the last stand together. Why the fuck not? You know, but we, we've worked hard, man. It's eight years later. Like we've put out um, an album and now two EPs. The last EP came out last summer and it's done really good. Um, it, you know, uh, I'm very happy with, with the way things are going in the last stand. And I feel like we've really kind of found our sound, you know, it's a different animal from a human, very different. I mean, the songs are structured way different. There's almost no metal at all where a human has metal. You know what I'm saying? How does the songwriting work? Do they, do they send you the songs or? Uh, yeah, well, Dion is, Dion's a very good songwriter. He writes almost about 100% of the music. And a very good chunk of the lyrics, actually, Dion writes. Nice. Um, and then I kind of retool a lot of them. Um, but yeah, he's good at writing, like, you know, to me, like hits. He's good at writing, like, hardcore hits. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, you know, memorable hardcore songs. You yeah. know what I'm saying? There is such a thing. People can pretend all they want that there isn't such a thing, but there is such a thing. Sick, you know? of, sick of it all, does it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, Agnostic Front does it. You know what I'm saying? A lot of bands do it. There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with remembering what you just fucking heard. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> and wanting to hear it again, right? That's not, that's not a bad thing in music, right? No. Um, but but when, I'm, when I say hits, I don't mean monetary hits. I mean hits for the crowd. Like, I mean hits for like, that you want to hear it again. You know what I'm saying? That's what I'm saying. Yeah, like memorable stuff. Like if you like you hear something, something like Step Down. Step Down could never be Scratch played. the Surface as another one. It, 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 Scratch the Surface is my favorite yeah. Sick of It All yeah. album. Yeah. Take the Night Off, even some of the newer stuff, like really fucking good songs. You know what I'm saying? Those guys can write fucking good songs. And they're the leaders of this genre, in my opinion. I think they are too. Because even me, who's not really that well versed in, in hardcore, Sick of It All was always one of those bands that I just loved because it was just, uh, I don't know, I got it. Like, I, I could listen to it and I, I fucking got it. I didn't. They're probably still my favorite live band ever to watch. Yeah, I, mean, you know? I just saw them the other night with Pennywise. And I mean, Pennywise was good, but Sick of It All was way better. And they, 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 they had the crowd and it was, it was great, you know? It's like they have um, the energy of like 20 year olds. I, I don't yeah, get it. It's great. Do. They really do. And, and they, it's just one of a kind, man. Really one of a kind. I mean, honestly, for New York, you have it's them, AF, Madball, Murphy's Law, Chrome X. That's, that's, those, that's the pinnacle. Like, especially the live setting, those bands. It's like, there's nothing quite like those bands, you know? And then I would say uh, newer, even though they're not that newer, Terror is one of the greatest of, of the, the last 15 or so years, I think. I think, Terror is- I, I think Parker's going to say Buried Alive. Is that the other one you I like? I did love Buried Alive. But Terror, <laughs> the first time, first time I saw Terror, it, it blew my mind the first time I saw them. We actually played with Buried Alive from the festival in Kentucky. It's awesome. I, I, I like Terror more than Buried Alive, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, so going, going to like new music, like, uh, you know, I ask you because you, you're, you're in the mix, man. Um, what are some like newer bands that, that you like? It's funny, a bunch of like, uh, bands, um, from, from Boston, like I started to like, uh, like hard, new, newer hardcore bands. Well, they, they broke up about a year or so ago, but this band, the rival mob from Boston, probably one of my favorite bands of the last seven or eight years in hardcore 
And then another Boston band, again, the same time frame, but they are, I believe, still together, called Boston Strangler. Just fucking sick, old school, you know, like the 90s never happened hardcore. Like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Vicious, like old school Boston, S-A-D-D-Y-S kind of hardcore. But Rival Mob are like a really good modern hardcore band. Really good. That is funny. Like, we briefly touched upon, like, you know, the 80s New York hardcore versus the 90s New York hardcore. And I guess you saw that, right? Oh, I totally did. Even though I only caught the last two, three years of the 80s New York hardcore scene, there's definitely a difference. But what was cool, though, what the similarity was, was that the diversity in sound was like... Super Touch didn't sound like Gorilla Biscuits. Murphy's Law didn't sound like, you know, Youth of Today. You know what I'm saying? Bold didn't sound like Sick of It All, right? And in the 90s, Indecision didn't sound like, say, No Redeeming Social Value. And Inhuman didn't sound like Cyber Night 451. And, you know what I'm saying? Uh, Millhouse didn't sound like Shutdown. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're, 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 the diversity was there, you know? The different sounds in the same scene were there, you know? So it's um, inter- it's interesting because it, then it's like regional, you know, because we, you mentioned grunge for a minute, and it's the same thing. It's like Soundgarden, Alice in Chains, Nirvana, Pearl Jam sound nothing like each other. Yeah. No, no, they, they really didn't. I mean, it's just geographics. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, we had similar influences. We all had the same influences, you know what I'm saying? But just musically, it just went in different places, you know? Um, I don't think Inhuman, Indecision, Shutdown, to, to just take those three, like, are the same exact styles of hardcore, really, you know? They're all hardcore bands, you know? Um, and then I always loved uh, two Jersey bands in particular in the 90s. I loved Ensign and Floor Punch, right? They were similar, but they're quite different from each other, too, you know? They're both kind of straight edge and positive, but Floor Punch was kind of like meaner, you know? They were like more like more New York City rooted, but they were bunch of Jersey guys, you know what I'm saying? Where I think Ensign was more Jersey rooted, probably more rooted by a band like Vision, you know, who was like, to me, one of the, the greatest Jersey hardcore bands ever, Vision. I don't know if you guys ever checked them out. They were great on the melodic side. They're a great band. Yeah, that's my world, Melodic. Dave was a friend of ours. He, he passed away uh, last year. Um, but they were great, man. They have a bunch of records out there. You should check them out. Um, okay, so like before we, we wrap up, like uh, you know, obviously we talked about the music. You also do a podcast, uh, Necromaniacs, right? Necromaniacs podcast. It's me <laughs> and Mike Hill um, from the band Tomb. Really great metal band. We we started it four years ago. And honestly, the four-year-ago podcast landscape to now, I think, is, is a tremendous difference, I think. Ridiculous. Four years ago. It's like a band now. <laughs> it's like the <laughs> billion horror podcast. Yeah. I don't know how many there were in 2014. But there, there was nowhere near the amount that there is now. Nowhere near, I think. What inspired you, know? you to start that one, though? Because, I mean, like, four years ago, like, you must have heard something that you're like, oh, fuck it, we could do this. It Okay, Mike 
has his own podcast, right? Everything went black. He did that. His know what the first episode of that was about? No. It was about me and him, Mike and I's experience going to see a Serbian film, a little movie theater in Bay Ridge, no business showing a Serbian film. Holy shit. You saw it in the... in Bay Ridge. I'm in Bay Ridge in the middle of like, you know, it, it's, it's like a more like a Muslim area of Bay Ridge, but it's a very like normal kind of like nothing really seedy about it. Like it's a, it's a theater that shows all mainstream movies is what I'm trying to say. Unbelievable. Of and all, of all movies. Out, and you know, we're up on a horror and we're like, it rang at that fucking alkaline? What? Why? <laughs> we were like, and that was in like, I think that was, let's see. That was, be- that was before four years ago. That was like six years ago, I think. That was the catalyst in a way, right? Because he was doing his own podcast. And he just didn't want it to be all about movies, I think. Everything went black. It's actually a lot of his podcast is about MMA stuff. I mean, it's kind of about whatever he wants it to be. But he made a decision to go like, you know what, man? You and I, we talk about movies all the fucking time. We go to horror movies together all the time. Let's do a, a separate podcast for the movies. And that was the birth of Necromania. Yeah, which is kind of like like I do two shows. And If I Rule the World is very guest-centric. You know, mm-hmm. I can't really go off the rails too much because it's not really about me. But Red River... <laughs> You know, we get to talk our shit on this, so it's 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 right. a lot of fun because, you know, we could ask, you know, just like questions about a Serbian yeah, film. Exactly. Now, if and when I ever get my own podcast going, it probably won't be all about horror movies. Obviously, it'll be it'll be different. It might be even more musically driven because everybody asks me about that all the fucking time. Well, I think um, you would be great because you have so many like informed opinions. Um, even if I don't agree with every single one, you know, maybe I like a different record, you know what I'm saying? Um, but you, you just have like, when I know someone argues for an album and you know that they love that album for real, I, am just like, Oh fuck it. He loved, you know, like, cause to me, I, I go Lucifuge over Danzig one. (laughs) Danzig one is just a time and place, man. Like I think I was like 15, 16. I was a misfits freak. I, I didn't hear Samhain yet. I went Misfits Danzig 1. Samhain was the elusive animal that came after Danzig. Me you too. Know? Me too. For a lot of people, actually. I've, I've learned over the years that a lot of the Samhain early on pre-Danzig people are older than me, and they were just around back then, and that's why they fucking know who Samhain is. It's so weird. Because when, when Danzig was in full swing, Danzig 1 and 2, that dude refused to talk about the Misfits and Samhain. Yeah, yeah. That didn't help Samhain, by the way. He could have been talking about Samhain, at least. He refused to talk about Samhain. R- so, Ricky Rackman found out the wrong one. <laughs> and by 95, I believe, all production of the record ceased. So everything that was out there was out there. Like, you know what I'm saying? I think 94 and 95, there were no more records being made. And the CDs might even be before that. But like, I think the last vinyl pressings of Samhain Records, I believe, was in 95. I had to wait for the box set. Why? Yeah, like he always talks about how, you know, something about how he's going to reissue some stuff. He hasn't reissued anything. The last thing he did was 
almost 20 years ago was that Sam Hain box set. And that's worth 200 bucks open. You know what I'm saying? Do you think, do you think, do you think it's just like one of those bittersweet type things? Cause like you're a musician, I'm a musician, Park is a musician where, you know, it's same thing with Billy Corgan, Smashing Pumpkins, like certain people, their older catalog is just so fucking like looked they on. They don't care. It's like, I don't care about my own catalog. But yeah. I think with him, I think there is some, there is an unknown to fans issue about the Sam Hain stuff. Whereas a lot of the fans are the first, oh, he owns all the rights to that. He owns all the rights to that. I don't maybe he doesn't own all the rights to that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Who knows, man? In this age of vinyl mania, official versions of November Coming Father and Initium and Holy Passion, you don't think he would bang out at least ten thousand a piece of those? Oh, easily. Easily. You know what I'm and to kill all the bootlegs, there's way too many bootlegs of Sam Payne. Way uh, too many. And you know, and, I I don't enjoy it as much as Misfits or Danzig. It's my least favorite of the three. Mm-hmm. It's not that it's my least favorite. I love it, but it's it's the third that I like. The it's my third. Okay. You know, it's my third. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I don't like to say it's my least favorite. It's it's almost like I really love it though. You know. What about Danzig three or Danzig four? I I'm gonna go with I four. I love Danzig four a lot, and it's funny though. I. I I used to almost go one, two, four, three. Me too. But now oh no. I almost feel like three, song for song, might be better, but not by much. Like you know what I'm saying? Like they're close. They're very close. I gotta go four. Yeah, I mean, I just feel like, like I almost think there's like one or two throwaway songs. On both of them, which almost makes them even records. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and I think the whole album to have just two songs you could skip is amazing. You yeah. Know what I'm so, and I feel like there's definitely two on four that I don't care about at all, and there's probably definitely two on three that I don't care about at all. I'd have to think about it though. Now, l- let me ask you this, uh, real quick: uh, The Prowler or mm-hmm. My Bloody Valentine? Well. They're very similar movies. I know. That's why I asked. <laughs> really similar movies. Both eighty-one, right? Yeah, and and the, the you know the killer looks kind of similar. Exactly. Right? That's why I asked. <laughs> um, what's a better movie though? What's a better movie? In a way, maybe the Prowler. Maybe the Prowler. Maybe. I'm I don't gonna, know. I, I go Prowler. Yeah, because the Prowler. It's not based around a fucking holiday. I don't feel like I can only watch my boy Valentine in February. Don't ask me why. I mean, you know, I don't watch Halloween in July. You know what I'm saying? I watch it in October, November, you know, but Halloween is one of my favorite all time movies. Um, but for the, for the lesser horror films, you know, if, if they're based around certain times of year, I will watch them around a certain time of year. You know, horror can be seasonal. Uh, I could watch horror anytime, but certain movies, I think, fare better in different seasons, you know? Yeah, of course. I mean, I could watch Return of the Living Dead any time, but Halloween is just so synonymous with fucking October, November that it almost feels weird, like you said, watching it in July. Like, folk like The Beyond, right? I saw that in the theater on a date 
1998 when Quentin Tarantino reissued it, that Rolling Thunder picture. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, he, he did. It, was, it played at um, the Angelica, I think, actually. Okay. And, um, man, I actually hadn't seen it before that. I just, I'd seen Zombie, and I knew, you know, like, I hadn't had my first DVD player yet, and I was just kind of really, like, getting super into the Italian stuff back then. I was a little late to the game, in my opinion, for Italy, although a lot of people even found that even later than that. But um, seeing that in a theater, man, holy shit, that was amazing. Like, I can imagine. One of my favorite horror movies ever. It's definitely my favorite folk movie, but um, that I could watch pretty much any time of year. Anytime, yeah. Yeah, Fulci, Fulci had great yes, work. It actually scares me. Like, it's like The Shining. The moment that, The moment you hear that music, in the beyond and the moment you hear the music in the shining i'm instantly like un- at unease but it's a good unease you know yeah well because to me like when i watch a movie like halloween um it just brings me back to that watching it as a kid i don't know what it is like you just i don't know i just get transported back i don't feel like i'm an adult watching it <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah but with beyond though I just feel like that ending of that movie is like that's what hell would look like. Oh, absolutely. Like, and did you do you you saw the void, right? Yeah. That and it reminded me of it too. Like Absolutely. Definitely like the Beyond. Definitely. Yeah. It's a combination of movies. The Beyond is one of them. Obviously. Hellraiser. And Nightbreed and 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 the thing Assault. and Halloween. Yeah, it's like a ten movies that movie in a way. But one of the most prominent movies, I think as an influence to me has got to be the beyond. Um, like it's just something about it. You know, some people think it's cheesy. I just think people like that are just so divorced from like the Italian movies of that era. Like, I don't know, look, if it's not your thing, it's not your thing. You know what I'm saying? But if, if it is your thing, then you fucking love it. You know? I mean, yeah, it's it's at a certain point, you know, there's an error. We're we're so far past that time that it was made. When you put a movie like that on, just embrace it for what it is, you know. Yeah, like some people overanalyze, or they think it's hilarious. I don't think there's nothing really hilarious in that movie to me. I don't know. I don't laugh. Well, that if, movie if you if you go to fucking Nighthawk, <laughs> like, and you sit there with a bunch of fucking hipsters that fucking think these movies are cool, like me and Anthony, you know, watch. We went to go see Maniac Cop. William Lustig showed it over at Nighthawk in Brooklyn. And like we're watching fucking Maniac Cop and these people, like they're laughing at certain scenes. And like, I listen, certain things are funny, but like, yo, it's not that funny. Relax, you know? It's not that funny, number one. I don't really love Maniac Cop. I love Maniac. Um, okay, Maniac yeah. Maniac Cop is okay. Some people love it. I think it's okay. Well, the but second one is better is than the first. Is the movie to be howling out loud over? No, probably not. <laughs> What about um um uh, the remake to Maniac? What do you think of that? I really liked it. I really Wasn't that liked, great? Um, very very fucked up. As as fucked up as the original, just with in the modern sense, and they almost like an added fucked up components to it. Like it, it almost really makes it like it doesn't make it tame because Maniac is not tamed. 
it is fucked up. Yes. But it's just up the ante, like, in a few ways. You know what I'm saying? Just the scalpings looked so ridiculously real, and the, the soundtrack, and what really worked, because when I heard Elijah Wood was attached to it, I was like, I, I almost had a heart attack. I'm thinking of like yeah, a lot Joe. Of people were very not into that until they saw the Until movie. they saw the POV. And right. it made sense. It's like, you know, when he got chumped in the bathroom, like all these things made so much sense. It's like, holy shit. Like, what a brilliant fucking idea. It's it's funny, although some people have thought, you know, this is not a popular opinion either. But if someone wanted to remake certain Jalo films, right, I actually wouldn't be opposed to it at all. Suspiria? Well, that's not a jowl to me, but that's a supernatural horror film. However, oh. however, I'm okay with that being remade. I'm actually okay with it because it looks like it's going to be very different and very different in a way that it's going to make it its own special movie just based on the fucking trailer alone, in my opinion, number one. But some of the other ones, right, just some of the ones that are just kind of just basic thrillers that just have these sleazy components or have some horror components to them, why not remake some some of the lesser ones to shine the light on the original or shine the light on the genre? You know what I'm saying? Like that's that's what I'm talking about. With you know? certain things, I I agree. Like uh, we we had on Damien Maffei from the movie The Strangers on uh, one mm-hmm. of the episodes, and you know we kept I, I would say jokingly, but he was kind of serious, but not really because, <laughs> but he he was talking about remaking The Mutilator, mm. which is such a random. Mm. Now that, but see, now that's kind of see that movie. Some people seem to think, "I oh, see, I need to see that again." I've seen that movie. It's I terrible. Find it to be very good at all. I just <laughs> remember the cover. That's all I remember. It's... Maybe it would work better as a new movie with improvement. That's, that's what yes, he that's what he, he that's what he was getting at. He was getting at that the the plot is so fucking ridiculous. Um, and it was just one of those random things that everyone saw. Everyone remembers the cover um, that you could improve upon it because it, it was just so even like the theme song, like the spring break theme. song, like it, it, going on a fall break. Yes. Yes. Break. Yeah, yeah. Hilarious. Right. Right. Like it, it was like straight out of a sitcom in mm. at the end of the movie after like, you know, that horror blending for that dude um that i it's just it's amazing but like i i saw it so many times as a kid and as a kid it was effective but then as i got older i was like wow this is fucking not good (laughs) (laughs) but but, um okay so to finish up here i i know the last episode um was the last episode you did terrifier uh yes and hereditary and i just hereditary i'm a a chiller theater guy i go to that one Mm -hmm. every year for like last almost 20 years and uh, the dude's going to be a chiller. Not yes. So yep. I'm definitely going to go to that. Yeah. He, we had Damien Leone, uh, the director on the show. Uh, super cool. I think he's from Staten Island. Um, we did a Skype with him. And so we're, we're actually taking the podcast name and the horror nerds group as well. Like, and we're going to show a double feature. Oh, uh, right. when is that? That's September 14th in uh, Huntington um, at the cinema Arts center. We're gonna do a Terrifier and Strangers to Pray at Night. Yeah, I didn't see Strangers too. I gotta fucking see that. Did you like the first one? Yes, I did actually. Okay, I yeah. I mean, again though, it's been a minute. 
Yeah, it's 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 different, you know. Um, it's very '80s centric. Like it just feels very retro, and you know, it's almost like Alien to Aliens, basically, because the first mm. Strangers was very tense. This one's a little bit more abrasive, but the visuals and the soundtrack, it's like a Kim Wilde like, mm. special, like yeah. so many of those. Uh, but September 14th, I know that you live in Brooklyn, but if for some reason you find your yeah, way no, out. I'm, gonna, I'm trying my best, man. I mean, that's fucking awesome, man. You guys need to, to go to Chiller. It's fun. I don't know if you've ever been to it. Well, Parker does. I've been, yeah, it's been a while, but probably three, four years ago. I'm going to uh, Monster Mania uh, this weekend, so that should be yeah, a good time. I might want to try to go to that, too. I don't know if that's going to happen, but I, I do want to go. Yeah. Um, I, I got to go just because I never met uh, you know, Robert Englund and Nick Castle. Those are going to be my two uh, two guys to hit up. Awesome. Yeah. I, it's funny. Monster Mania just is one of those things I've been to like two three times, but I've been to every single chiller for 18 years. Wow. <laughs> Quite yeah. a year. So, what would- what was your problem with the Halloween uh, trailer, by the way? Uh, showed way too much. Okay. Um, I thought it showed him with the whole movie. And I felt like it's, it just it didn't look like it offered anything new at all. Um, I don't know. I could be wrong. I'm going to see it. I can't wait to see it. I want it to be great. But I just feel like it gave away a lot. It did. And I don't like the Michael is not her brother. Uh, I don't know why they did away with that exactly um i hope because that actually takes away a lot of the reasoning for all of this you know what i'm saying like the like then why the hell is he going after her like you know what i'm saying like what's why her you know if it's not his sister maybe you know they'll maybe they'll explain it but maybe they yeah. maybe they they had to ignore the second one because it's Technically, I guess he died in a bowl of flames <laughs> right. with but no eyeballs. They could have acknowledged that. And, you know, what I'm saying like there's ways around that. Come on. we. I mean, that's, you know, in, in the horror world, we know there's ways around that kind of death. Even that. Oh, absolutely. Which made it a bit hokey. But, I almost feel like it's very risky taking that element out unless it's going to be reintroduced and we're all being duped or something. But that doesn't seem like it's the case, you know. We'll see. Um, we'll see. Yeah. I mean, I'm, you know, I, 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 they're doing a good job because everyone's kind of like really anticipating it now. And yeah. I think it's going to do very well because like, what was the, seriously, uh, Resurrection? <laughs> <laughs> resurrection was the worst. No, Resurrection's oh. terrible. It's a piece of garbage. But the thing is. <laughs> the worst. I'm just, I don't know, man. This, this, this has to be just better than Resurrection. Guys. It's got to be. You know what I'm saying? It needs to be more than that. And I, I, I hope it is just more, way more than just better than Resurrection. You know? Oh, are you kidding me? It better be. That. Resurrection is arguably the worst horror sequel of all time. <laughs> it's argu- it I, probably is. I uh, can't think of another I would, one. I would put Jason X up there, but I think Resurrection is even worse than Resurrection that. Resurrection is worse than Jason yeah. X. <laughs> you know, Troll 2, like all those. <laughs> like, it doesn't matter. Like, I'm telling you. Like, <laughs> Ron, <laughs> well, what was that? Carnosaur 2. Oh. Carnosaur <laughs> 2. <laughs> All right, cool. So, uh, thank you for doing this. And yeah, uh, thank you, we'll, man. anybody wants to to check out the band definitely. on uh, social media, it's uh, facebook.com slash inhuman or facebook.com slash the last stand nyhc. Both bands have all of our shit on Apple Music, Spotify, Spotify Amazon, all the usual suspects and all that shit so yeah. and check out the podcast too it's fun uh yeah, obviously podcast we're available 
wherever podcasts are available. I just hit. Uh, I just, want to come soon. Um, for what? Not sure what we're covering, but it is coming soon. <laughs> 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 not sure. It's always a surprise. Yes. It, oh, and real quick, because you and I both saw Meg. Uh, you like Meg, right? I did. You know what? I mean, I think some people. What did they want? Gone with the Wind. I mean, <laughs> I, it was a fun movie. Like, what did they, did they want? Like, you know, or like fucking Midnight Cowboy. Like, what the fuck these people want? Like, I, I mean, don't know. I, it's a shark movie. It's a CGI shark movie in the summertime. It's fucking fun. No, I mean, I. I it, it was fun. I I went there with the lowest expectations. Somebody uh, in some thread said it was. Uh, oh, Phil Capone said it was uh, <laughs> Jurassic Park. Under you know in the sea, and I was thinking like, yeah, that's actually kind of what yeah, it was. Yeah. It had some beautiful imagery. Beautiful, beautiful like, the beginning, right? Like, work and like they spent some money on this movie. I I think they had to spend some fucking money on this movie. The fuck, the beginning when they're going in the water and then they're in these things, the technology that they have, gorgeous. Her like just just that whole thing that they're they're on that 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 space that station. Um, yeah, that station was sick, and I loved. When the shark ate the other shark, I mean, there's some great moments in the movie, you know. Yeah, it was it was it was fun, definitely. I, the only thing I could have done without, I mean, the, the acting, some of the acting was terrible, like the the Asian yeah, actors. I mean, like, some of the reasoning and some of the plot, like some of the little things were whatever. I mean, but I kind of didn't care about that. No. I didn't really care. Like, yeah, no, I, I, I overlooked it because it visually was it, like it's a fun movie. Like you, I, you go there, you fucking eat your fucking popcorn. Oh. Um, and and that's it. So, uh, all right, cool. Listen, this people was... wanted like Jaws. I mean, Jaws is Jaws. It's like a, it started that genre. Jaws was like a drama, and it was the seventies, and it was a young Steven Spielberg. Okay, I don't even know who directed this movie. Okay, so it's like, come on, man. Jaws. It doesn't even, it doesn't even matter who directed this movie. Jaws is perfect. Unfortunately, yeah. it's never going to be, like Jaws is Jaws. Like yeah. you could watch Jaws today, and it's it covers everything. Still holds up. It's so goddamn good. I don't know how or why, but it's fucking just great. Like the, you care about the characters. The yeah, sh- like, cool. it, yeah. You can't top Jaws, so just stop. I mean, Jaws is just a great movie. Period. You know yeah, it's a, gr- it's a great movie. Yeah. But you know what? People out there see the Meg. It's fine. <laughs> Uh, all right, man. Thank you so much, man. Sorry for talking your fucking ears off forever. No, no, no. You, that's, that's, you know, usually we like doing stuff in person, but being on the phone, um, you know, the only thing is like, sometimes, you know, like I, I just hate talking over each other. So it was good that you kind of just did your thing. Like you gave, man, you gave so much. So when I edit this down and there's probably going to be like few edits, you know, I'll just bump up the... You, you you killed it. Everything that you did, like your life is interesting. Everything that you do, you're still making music. You're still, like everything that you do, I admire from afar, man. So thank you for yeah, doing man, it. You too, man. You too, bro. I, you're a talented guy. Your podcast is cool. You're fucking. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much for the support, man. All right, Mike. Thanks, Mike. Have a great night, guys. Cheers. Later, man.